This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and welcome everyone to under the dome with cd right here on acadiana sports station 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. Hope you have a great Saturday afternoon. And of course, we are, as always, coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through that old school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. And of course... 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, or even through that fancy-schmancy Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Just tell your smart speaker to play 1037 the game. If you haven't already, make sure you launch or better yet, re-enable your Amazon Alexa skill today. And we got a lot of stuff to get to. If you want to talk about what's going on with the Saints, LSU, and I'll get to that in a second. But my thing is... The Twin Peaks hotline is open. Let's be a little civil here. 337-706-0111. Appreciate you listening. and hope you have a great Saturday afternoon and making it a great one. However you're doing so. Be it, you know, that second cup of coffee. I know we have that show First Cup that starts things off. But by now, maybe you're on that second cup of coffee, getting ready for a long day, taking care of business. Or maybe... You're having yourself a good old time on a Saturday afternoon and popping that first top. Get a little day drinking going on. Appreciate you listening in. But right now, let's get into brass tacks and talk about what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday morning. And let's get to the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. Of course, we've got to go to the Louisiana State University and talk about those Title IX findings by Hush Blackwell. It all came out yesterday, and honestly, I think the biggest thing I've got to say is the university has a lot, and I mean a lot, of work to do when it comes to getting their house in order. Because if they can't, that dark cloud across the basin. It's not looking too good right now. I know there was some rain hitting the area yesterday and last night. Trust me, that's the least of their worries when it comes to what's going on with LSU. Because this situation could be getting a whole lot more bleak. First off, this is a lot more than what happened with Les Miles and others. And we'll get to those a little bit more individually in a moment. But it's a system-wide issue. It's been an issue for a while. And I think they, they've handled the, the situation pretty crappily for the most part and I think it's the fact that it's a system wide issue and they kind of let themselves fall into that trap if you will especially when it comes to certain situations like with the players 
and Les Miles, who we're getting to in just a moment. Because I'll touch on a lot of things here in this opening segment, and the first of which is the former LSU head coach. He's, he's grabbed all the headlines. It's justifiably so. All the stuff that he done did was pretty darn creepy and just weird. And now he's been placed on a leave of absence over the University of Kansas. Perfectly justified. And when someone tells you to stop doing that stuff, like Joe Oliva, Joe Oliva is his boss, or was his boss at that point in time. Just go ahead and agree to just say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and, and stop doing that. That way we don't get in a whole lot of trouble. Here's the thing, though. Oliva isn't entirely absolved in my book. He could have fired him with cause in 2013. Brody Miller broke that report yesterday, which absolutely was a big kind of surprise. But then you kind of think about it. You take a few seconds, you step back after you're seeing the initial aftershocks. You realize it's not that shocking when you think about Joe Oliva's track record. Does anyone remember the stuff that happened about a decade and a half ago? I think it was 15 years ago or so. And that is what happened over at Duke with the lacrosse team. Of course, Oliva was front and center in the midst of all this. It was criticized for how he handled all that. And it still amazes me how he still found work after that entire incident in the late 2000s. Oliva's legacy, at the end of the day, is mishandling situations. And this is just another black mark on that proverbial headstone. It's a crazy thing that the worst thing he handled was the coaching search after finally firing Les Miles because of his on-the-field performance, not the the off-the-field. And that's probably the least of his worries when it comes right down to it because mishandling the Duke lacrosse controversy and then kind of mishandling this situation in 2013 where he could have just fired him with cause. And it would have been justified. Now, who stopped all that? I don't know. But it makes you wonder, this is why a program like Baylor was in the situation they were in because they let people do what they do. And that's absolutely abhorrent to a certain extent when it comes right down to it. Then there's the numerous allegations about some of the former players. I think one of the bigger ones is Darius Geis, a player who had a lot of dirty laundry pop up after he left LSU and wound up going pro. His career has largely been dead and buried since last summer after some domestic violence arrests came out. And now I'd say Geis is alongside folks like Marty Skrull and others Inside the pro wrestling industry that were called out last summer during the speaking out movement. And now his career can't be saved, and honestly, it shouldn't be saved. Because what happened in the past and in the and what happened in the last year with him, it makes you wonder, hey, like, there's just a big problem going on with LSU. And I think there's probably a bigger problem just college worldwide. This is just one of those incidents. Baylor was one of those incidents. And it just makes you wonder because people at LSU probably enabled all this because, oh, hey, you know, we're just going to go ahead and turn a quote-unquote blind eye to it because he was good at football. That's what it sounds like in my mind. I could be completely a, a little bit off base here, but that's what it sounds like to me. Now let's get down to the handing down of the suspensions that some of the higher-ups. Verge Osbury, Miriam Seeger, both suspended for 30 and 21 days respectively. And that's a slap on the wrist and a slap in the face to the numerous people who were affected by all this. And LSU should be absolutely ashamed for how they handled all this. It's a joke that we saw Burge Osbury and Miriam Seeger both suspended for 30 and 21 days. That's not how you handle this. And then Scott Woodward's statement 
kind of made it worse, you know? It's basically pouring salt in the wound, you know? And I just sat there. Like, what is going on? I, I Basically, I can't wait to have him back. It's like, come on now. I understand you're going to have him go through training, but it's like sensitivity training and stuff like that. But that's not the root of the problem. That's not the root of the issue. The root of the issue is basically saying, hey, we screwed up. We're going to try and handle this the right way going forward. And these two probably shouldn't have jobs anymore because of the way they handled this. And I'll give some credit as well to Caroline Schroeder because she went full-blown shoot promo on LSU yesterday, and I loved it. Because, I mean, the only reason why they really did this whole review and this investigation with Hush Blackwell was because of that national report by USA Today. And the recommendations are good. Making these steps in the right direction is good. But the thing is, you can have all these recommendations. You can have all these things that you want to do. At the end of the day, unless you actually go out there and put forth the effort to do those things, to make sure your house is in order going forward, none of this bleep matters. Because unless you do the right thing and try and change your culture up, down, and sideways, and making sure that you have people there that are doing the right things... And making sure these things aren't swept under the rug or or given the old boys will be boys adage or whatever you want to call it. That's what it has sounded like to me with this entire situation. Just at least at the surface of the matter. And that's LSU and the way they handled it. It's a mess right now at LSU. How does this thing get fixed? It's simple. You start by working within and you add in people to make sure you don't have people overloaded and working four different jobs in this university and this thing falls through the cracks and this isn't the end of it not by a long shot Jack because you know that if you don't keep your house in order you don't fix yourself you are going to wind up getting a pretty darn severe punishment this is an NCAA thing this is an Title IX situation. This could be crippling for the university. That's not how you want to do things. You just need to try and prevent these things from happening again and make sure to handle it the right way going forward. That's what you got to do to try and lessen the blow, soften the blow. And I think then we can talk about moving forward. But it's going to take a while. And I said it on Twitter before the show. Put it out online. LSU has miles, pun intended, to go before their house truly becomes in order. And I hope that the university can get their stuff in order, can get their house in order, make sure that stuff like this does not happen again. Because when I, I mean, when I saw the stuff, I saw Dellinger put this out about an hour ago. I was... Not quite blown away. And this comes from somebody who reportedly was harassed by Geis at the Superdome. A 70-year-old Superdome security guard was harassed. And this happened around December 9th, between December 9th and December 13th, according to her. It was for the high school football state championship games in 2017. At 3.30, 
She was sitting on a chair at her post when Geis and several other men approached her. He began saying they likes older women, and she was shocked whenever he asked if she would have sex with him, and was shocked and told him it was not funny. And then talked to Ed Ogeron regarding the incident, and also I didn't say what he had said, but apparently there was a coach that she talked to, was not mentioned who the coach is directly referencing, but said that Darius was probably just kidding around that Darius came from a broken home. That statement alone makes me just want to puke. And I did a lot of that a couple weeks ago. And I don't want to do that again. But seeing that made me sick to my stomach. Because you're, you're doing the whole boys will be boys type BS that kind of is getting you in the situation. Whoever that coach was, I hope they can come forward and just say, you know what, I'm out. That's the way this should be handled. Bottom line, it's absolutely disgusting and abhorrent, the entire situation right now with LSU sports, but especially what happened with this kind of thing. It's not just sports-wide, it's LSU-wide. And I'm interested to see how this entire thing turns out. I probably won't talk about it much after today, but I'll be keeping an eye on it. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. All right, it's under the dome with CD right here on Acadia and a sports station 1037 the game and 1037 thegamecom We're gonna take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're gonna talk about something a little bit more fun, and that is the state of high school basketball. The state championships are coming up for boys basketball and March Madness. The semifinals and the locations are officially said. Give you the deets and the lowdown, especially when it comes to the Cajun Dome next. Right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hopefully you're having a great, there's a wonderful Saturday afternoon. You know what make that Saturday afternoon even better? If you forked over $20 for a chance to win a new 2021 Ford Bronco. I've been seeing that thing outside all week long as I'm making my way into the first South Farm Credit Studios. And it is absolutely beautiful. A brand new 2021 Ford Bronco is up for grabs. Just spend $20 to buy a raffle ticket to win one of the hottest vehicles on the market at broncoraffle.com. The ticket sales goes to a good cause, benefiting. Nonprofit Catholic Radio and the drawing will be held on May 15th. Tickets are limited. Get your tickets and get your raffle ticket. Buy it today. You can buy it at broncoraffle.com or at Hub City Ford and the Delta Media Studios. So buy your raffle ticket today to win a brand new 2021 Ford Bronco presented by Hub City Ford. If you make your way over towards, once again, the first South Farm Credit Studios, it's going to be right there, right out there on Front Street. And make sure you check it out. Darn good stuff right there. And hopefully you're having a good one on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And I saw something today that absolutely made me a little bit happy. It's the fact that we got the Marsh Madness set up all set up. We know who's playing who. 
and where they're playing. And this year, it's a lot different than any other year, largely because of the fact that we've seen a lot of different changes with the way the state of high school basketball has to be this year. It's a lot more different. Because of the fact that it's going to be in two different places all at the same time, you're going to have half of it take place over in Lake Chuck at the Burton Coliseum, where the state championships are going to be. We'll get to when the state title games are in just a bit, but it's being separated between Burton Coliseum and the Cajun Dome. First time the Cajun Dome is going to have the at least part of the high school basketball playoffs there in a long time. And I think this might be the step first step towards getting it back at least somewhat. But let's go ahead and start things off with what's going on for next week, starting on Monday, March the 8th. Here's what's going to be at Burton Coliseum in Division 5. The Division 5 semifinals are going to be there with Jehovah Jireh taking on Grace Christian, number one versus number five seed. They got at 230. Number two, Family Christian taking on Episcopal of Acadiana, number three seed. And then in Class C, you've got number two, Phoenix taking on Eberb. And then number one, Simpson taking on Hornbeck. That's going to be a 730 tip. So basically you'll be going from noon to 730 with a lot of games going on. It'll be a lot like what we saw with the Cajun Dome Classic a few weeks ago with Brad Boyd and crew, where it's you have two games, you have a little bit, little bit, little bit of a longer break to make sure you have enough time to kind of wipe, every, wipe everything down, so on and so forth. At least it's what it seems like to be on paper. And then we get to the Cajun Dome matchups. It'll be Division Four and Class 3A are going to be over there. That includes number one, Crescent City taking on Country Day in the Division Four semifinals, and also number two, Riverside taking on number three, Calvary Baptist. In Class 3A, you got Madison Prep and number four, Carroll. That's going to be a 5 o'clock tip. And then the nightcap is going to be number seven, number two, Wasman taking on number 11, St. Martinville in the Class 3A semifinals. That should be a really fun match, but hopefully St. Martinville can get to the state finals. Would love to see that for the AKDNA area. Then on Tuesday, March 9th at Burton Coliseum, again, this is all noon, 2.30, 5, and 7. Just going through it in order. Class 1A, number 1 North Central versus number 4 Arcadia. And they got number 3 White Castle taking on North number 7 seed Northwood Lena at 2.30. Then Class B's semifinals with number 2 Simsboro taking on number 3 Hathaway. Then the number 1 seed Anacoco taking on J.S. Clark Leadership, who is the number 5 seed in Class B. Then we get to the Caden Dome matchups, which are going to be Division One and Division Three. You've got number two, St. Paul's, taking on number three, St. Aug. Number one, Scotlandville, taking on number five, Jesuit. And then in Division Three, you've got the Greenies, Isidore Newman, taking on number four, Menard. And then you've got number two, Dunham, taking on Lafayette Christian Academy, a six seed in the state semifinals. And we all know Lafayette Christian Academy, a damn good team. That's going to be a lot of fun to see how that all goes down. Then we get to Wednesday, March 10th, the last of the semifinals. Class 2A and Class 5A are going to be at Burton Coliseum. That'll be number one, Rayville, taking on number five, Franklin. And then Port Allen at Lake, taking on Lakeview in the other semifinal matchup. Then in Class 5A, Natchitoches Central, number one, C, taking on number four, Hanville. And then number three, Zachary, taking on number 15, Walker. And then we get to the Cajun Dome matchups. This will be Class 4A in Division 2. So you're going to have number one seed George Washington Carver taking on number four Neville in the first matchup in Class 4A. Then number two, McMain taking on Woodlawn Shreveport. 
Then in Division Two to wrap things up in the semifinals at the Cajun Dome, you're going to have University Lab taking on St. Michael, a number one versus number five matchup. And then number two, St. Thomas More, Danny Bruce Arden crew are going to be playing on Wednesday night in a dynamite matchup against number three, Liberty. And then everything is going to kind of go like this for the state title games with Thursday, it's going to be Division 5, Division, again, this will all be noon, 2.35 and 7.30, all taking place inside Burton Coliseum for the next three days. March 11th, you're going to have the Division 5, Division 4, Class 3A, and Class C state title games. It's going to be on Thursday, Friday. It's Division 3, Class 1A, Class 2A, and Class B. Then finally on Saturday, it'll be Class 4A, Division 2, Division 1, and Class 5A. So, yeah, we got a lot of great high school matchups coming up. I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole thing shakes out. And that's just your boys' basketball alone. I know the the girls' basketball games, they are still going on. They're in the state title. I think they're in the state title round now to where I think this weekend we'll wind up finding out who else could be in the house. I'm just, again, just looking forward to seeing how this whole thing shakes out. And the fact that we get, you know, all this stuff set up, and we get to this point. We're at the end game. It's something I've talked about with football. We finally are at the end of the road. And it's crazy to think, because you look back at this, it's going to end on Saturday, March 13th. A year ago, that's when everything started to shut down. I can remember, because I was actually off on the 13th, because my original plan was, you know, this was, again, it's a year ago which is crazy to think about all the stuff that's happened in the last year for me and for probably a lot of y'all. I was supposed to go to Houston for a wedding that weekend, and then some other things happened with my family. We had to kind of cancel going. So I was going to be off Friday and then take the weekend off to go over to Houston because I didn't know what time I was going to be wind up leaving. So this was the 13th. I can remember watching Danny Broussard's crew Winning a state title game with nobody around. Not a single soul was at Burton Coliseum. And just watching a game that was probably, I'd say, very entertaining and would have been a lot better with a crowd. It was so weird. Little did we know how much that would become a part of our lives. I mean, I watch so much sports and just watching a lot of it, especially in the early part of COVID where it's like, where are all the fans? And it's taken a while to kind of like get more and more and more. And eventually we'll wind up getting full capacity crowds. And I'm waiting for that day, to be honest with you, because I, I miss that. I miss hearing a full-blown crowd and not a piped-in one like the WWE does. I'm talking straight up all the great sounds of fans cheering, chanting. Honestly, and this is also something I saw yesterday on, I think it was on Instagram, and it was from Tiger Stadium. It was from not from Tiger Stadium, excuse me, Alec Box Stadium. And boy, oh boy, they've got some new rules at LSU, at least for the student side of things, that I'm not a fan of. It feels very much like they're trying to control things a little bit too much. Like basically, like oh hey, don't like make sure you have your mask on. Which I, I get that part. Make sure you have your mask on at all times, unless you're eating or drinking. And don't be too loud. Don't don't make a whole bunch of noise. It's like, come on now. Like, you're asking students who are so used to chanting certain thing that I can't say on the air. 
during a ball game whenever a certain song is played, yeah, good luck with that. It's pretty much in our ingrained in us for years. And it's something I've, I've thought about a lot is how things are going to be post-COVID, how things are going to be once we start opening up more in terms of how it's handled whenever you have more and more crowds. I know over in Japan, for instance, again, I'm, gonna, I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm able to kind of keep tabs on a lot of different things. And one of the things that I've been interested in seeing how it is is them having live crowds over in Japan. I believe they might be at about like a 30 35% capacity for a lot of their bigger shows, like at the Tokyo Dome. Or Karukin Hall, that act, they've actually told them, you know, you cannot cheer. Don't, like, you can clap, do this, but no actual cheering with the mask on. They want to minimize that as much as possible. Now, I think it's a little bit more of a cultural thing because if you've ever watched a wrestling match in Japan, you don't see that many people actually cheering and chanting like you would when you're watching, like, Monday Night Raw or AEW Dynamite pre COVID, where the crowd's going nuts the whole show. It's more of a cultural thing over in Japan. It's a little bit harder to do. I can about imagine that thing would go over like a lead balloon if that was done more at, even at, even at the team, for instance, because I've been at a couple games so far this year and it's weird because the games I've been to, it's been about, like I'd say between like 400 and 700 people. Now, of course, that capacity is getting increased in the last few days. Because John Bell Edwards has opened things up a little bit more. Not quite, you know, what's going on to the left or the right of us. Texas, oh, hey, all open, full gear. You've got Mississippi, everything's open, full gear. We're ready to go. Mask mandate done. And that, that, I mean, that is what it is. Let them kind of handle their business the way they need to. And I think they absolutely have a justifiable reason why they're doing that. Because, you know, that's how they think. And I think John Edwards is just handling it as best he can because he's basically following the plan that he's pretty much had in place from Jump Street. It sucks because we're not because we're looking at everybody else just running around and being able to do all this all the things that they were doing a year ago. But honestly, we're sitting here and we're still in that kind of like proverbial purgatory. To me, it is what it is. We got to deal with it, and eventually we'll be fully done with it, and we'll kind of move on. Just all something I'll talk about next, and that is some stuff involving those Houston Astros. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of stuff going on with them right now. Talk about that next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037 TheGame.com. Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make the rules and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD yeah. who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a sports station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. The Twin Peaks Online is open for the whole darn show. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Now we're going to get to some, a little bit of Astros for a moment. I'll probably get to some NBA here in a little bit as well, but I just saw this pop up before we took a quick timeout. That's from Jeff Passan 
friend of the jungle on the Jim Rome show, formerly part of the Smack Off. Now he's with the Fortnite Network, so he can't necessarily be able to be able to be a part of it. And the Astros are apparently in agreement on a two-year deal with a player option for right-hander Jake Odorizzi, formerly of the Minnesota Twinkies, also spent some time with the Tampa Bay Rays. And he's pretty darn good. Outside of last year, last year he only started four games, 0-1 with a whopping 6.59 ERA. The year before, though, was when he was, I'd say, a lot better, 15-7. and I know it's still not great, but 15-7, and having him there, that's going to be a big plus, especially when you look at everything that this team dealt with over the last, I'd say, like 72 hours or so. This is a step in that in the right direction. And what I'm talking about first off is the Framber Valdez situation. Because Framber, oh boy, you... Ha, ah, man. I know, I know, I heard Foot yelling about this. And it's justifiable what happened. So, Framber Valdez injured his finger fielding a ball without his glove, with his just his hand. Absolutely ridiculous, the fact that happened. And apparently he could be done for the year. And then you have eight pitchers, eight of them right now, going through the COVID protocols right now. Eight of them. Now, mind you, that, that actually might work out because of the fact that when you hear about the research involving COVID-19, it's about a th- after you have it, three months or so, you might not you might not catch it twice within those three months span. So that's it's a it's a bad thing, but at the same time it could turn out to be a little bit of a better thing down the road. But the fact you have eight players going through those protocols right now and having to go back home to Houston, that's bad alone. Then you have Forrest Whitley, who has been beleaguered with injuries for a while, is battling soreness, according to Channel Rome of the Houston Chronicle, friend of the program. And he cannot catch a break, but this adds to it. Again, this is two guys within the last 48 hours or so you have lost in terms of your pitching staff, and that's creating a big issue because you don't have the same kind of group that you had, let's say, four, five years ago. It's a just different... It's a different guy, and I I just feel like this is going to wind up working out. It's huge to get him to be part of the team because Oda Rizzi is actually a really solid hand. Yes, he's he's my age. He's 31, but I think that absolutely is something that you want to have. You want to have a steady hand that can help you get things done. I mean, outside of like last year where he really underwhelmed, Owen 0-1 0-1 with only playing four games in the COVID-shortened season, I think having that guy could turn out to be huge. Now, are we saying Cy Young worthy? I don't necessarily think so, but he can get things done in a different way, and he can actually be a guy that maybe can take some of the onus off of Zach Grinky and aging Zach Grinky being the guy. But it's amazing to just look back. You know, me and Ben did this a little bit yesterday when we were talking. Is the fact that everything's changed in the last, let's say, six, seven months, uh, six, seven years? 
you went from having probably one of the most lethal group of pitchers ever. You had Charlie Morton. You had Justin Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Cole. Those four guys alone could probably get you to a World Series. And we talk about it all the time. This is a team that honestly has the offense to at best be a game 163. But their offense... Their offense, their defense, I should say, and pitching staff isn't that great. Your bullpen has always been an issue. It's always been a big issue over the last couple of years. I can remember seeing several games where the Astros have things in control. The next thing you know, the story changes, and we see, you know, a guy like, I'd say, half of this team fall apart. Half of this team's bullpen just falls apart every single time. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen when you have, when you don't have that, that bona fide stud pitching for you. You are probably going to run into a lot of problems. And that's what I'm seeing with this team. The Houston Astros are a team that continues to have failures and shortcomings. And maybe it's the fact that, you know, everybody wants to say, you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see how this whole thing goes with your boy, Ken Rosenthal. Uh, Ken Rosenthal is also confirming this, is that Jake Odorizzi is in agreement with the Astros, a two-year deal. And I'm, again, just, I don't know what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future, but having him there could be a big move for this team. I'm intrigued. But now you have to try and figure out who else is going to be able to fit that role of a starter. Because if you don't, you are going to have a horrible time. Bottom line. You are just absolutely going to have, bar none, a god-awful time trying to figure out how you're going to set everything up, how you're going to set up shop, how you're going to make sure that your people... Our place. I don't. I'm not sold a single bit. I'm not sold on this team making strides because they don't have a really good depth at pitching now. Forrest Whitley might be done for a while. More likely than not, Framber Valdez, a guy who broke out last year as a pitcher, that COVID shortened year, he's done for the year. And maybe possibly longer. I don't know. And all because he grabbed a ball without his glove. Just did it barehanded. It's not great, Bob. And then now you have, you know, Lance McCullers Jr. coming off of the Tommy John. Don't know how he's going to look. Then you have everything else going on. You got Zach Grinke. I'd say Jake Odorizzi, Lance McCullers Jr., and then who else? This isn't college baseball anymore, where you can kind of get by with a three-man rotation. This isn't like the Cajuns, where the Cajuns are able to have been able to shuffle the deck up and actually have a group of, let's say, four, maybe five guys that are pretty decent and kind of rack up a bunch of wins for you. Because... That's what I've liked about how this Cajuns team has looked so far in the season. Now, yes, obviously they've lost a couple 
really they lost one truly awful game. They lost the season opener to Tulane in extra innings. I can live with it. It is what it is. Then you lose the LSU game. The LSU game is probably your one bad loss. Everything else can kind of be explained away. You know, the, the loss to McNeese was just a tough one. Now, when it comes to LSU, on the other hand, which I'll, I'll probably dive into a little more detail about LSU baseball and Cajuns baseball in the next segment. But when you look at the Cajuns, they actually have, I'd say, probably four or five bona fide starters. And a guy that's fringe, maybe because of his attitude, I don't know. Obviously, his production was just not good at all a couple weeks ago. But Connor Angel looked good, but he had a short leash on him on Tuesday night against La Tech. I noticed that, and that was a, that was a big takeaway I had. That I think he's on the ish list, if you will. He's not. He's on that. He's on that naughty list, if you will. Based off of what I noticed, because it felt like the leash he had was very short, and that's not a good place to be right now, to say the very least. And it's the exact opposite with the Astro, with Astros. You've got a bullpen that's very questionable, and you've got a light into pitching depth. Because imagine if you're the Astros and you look at what the rest of the league is doing right now. The San Diego Padres probably got three, four guys. I'd say the Dodgers could have one starter for every day of the week if they wanted to. Because they've got at least five guys that can be very much solid starters. And probably a couple more that you could throw in there if one of them gets hurt. That says something to your depth of pitching. The Astros don't have that. They've got really good hitting. They've got a really good starting nine, even without George Springer. It'd be great to have them, but it is what it is. It's a high price of being a small market team. You have to kind of let people go because you can't afford them. And that's just what that's how it goes. That's why arbitration just is a real B word, if you will. I'm just looking forward to seeing how this team is going to look. Do I think they'll win the World Series again? Not in the next couple of years, I don't think. Because I think Justin Verlander's done. His, I mean, you know, Tommy John at the age he's in, I think it's time, past time for him to hang it up. Beyond that, there's a lot of questions, a lot of holes that need to be filled. And it's starting to become time to really replenish that shelf that you had. Because, I mean, they have one of the best farm systems in the world, and they got rid of a lot of different guys. So, yeah, we're looking at all this stuff. And I'm trying to figure out everything that's going on in the world of sports, especially when it comes to the Houston Astros. All right, it's under the dome with CD. We'll come back. We'll get in the conversation about what's going on with Cajuns, LSU baseball. Cajuns didn't play yesterday, but they're playing today a doubleheader give you the details about that and so much more you're listening to under the dome with cd on acadia and a sports station 1037 the game at 1037 the game.com Most sports 
sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Hope you have a great Saturday afternoon. Getting ready to wrap up our number one in style. Again, big news, or one of the big news stories, Jake Odorizzi signing a two-year deal with a player option for the Houston Astros. I want to see something because I know he's he's played with the Minnesota Twinkies the last few years. I want to see how he's done against the Astros since being in the league. Because I'm pulling the splits right now. Okay, Astros, he is. This is what I, I'm like trying to figure out exactly. I wish I would pull up his splits in terms of how he is against the Astros. Let me see. Pull up the Astros. He's like, he only, okay, he's 5-1 and one with a 1.91 ERA against the Houston Astros. That's a pretty decent record against them since being in the league. Again, he's 31 years old. He could be really good. Then looking at how he is with the rest of the AL West, he's 1-3 with a 5.05 ERA against the Angels. Let me go ahead and pull this up. He is... Four and one against the Texas Rangers with a three point five six ERA. Then again, that doesn't really mean much because the <laughs> they are a trash team. Then he's one and four with four point oh three ERA against the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners. He's one and three. So yeah, not not that great against AL West teams unless you're from the state of Texas. But it's good to have him on the other side of things. I'm interested to see how this whole thing is going to pan out. Meanwhile, let's get some Cajuns and LSU baseball for a moment. Cajuns baseball going to have a doubleheader today taking on those pesky Houston Baptist Huskies. And I think that they could very well – they beat Rice a, lot, a couple weeks ago, I believe. It's part of midweek series, midweek game or so on all those lines. So we know they can get you know, they can get wins. So I'm intrigued to say, see how that's going to turn out. But more impor- importantly – I want to see how this new rotation is going to work out because we saw a lot of good things happen with Spencer Arrogetti in that midweek match against La Tech that gave him some conference player of the week. Now he's going to be inside that Saturday that Saturday spot, game two. Game one, you're going to have Hayden Dirk, of course, starting that game. And Dirk has been an absolutely amazing pitcher for the Vermilion and White the last couple weeks. Now, yeah, he's... 1-0 because he it was basically a no decision in the first game against Tulane because that went to extra innings, and he got pulled well before that. But having those two guys could be huge. Then you've got Sunday Carter Robinson. Carter has been looking pretty darn good the last two games as well. Not quite in terms of the strikeout ratio, but he definitely has some solid stuff and is able to get you to five innings. And I think now we're going to start seeing him get ramped up. I know I saw Connor Cook on Tuesday night get ramped up a good bit. Damn near pitched a hunt through a hundred pitches, which was impressive in and of itself. So we got that going on right now. The Cajuns they're getting ready. It'd be one o'clock first pitch for game one. Forty five minutes after that is going to be game number two for the Cajuns. And again, Spencer Arrieta is going to start game two. Game three is going to be Carter Robinson. And one thing to note is. 
all three starting pitchers for the Huskies, according to what I was seeing from the release yesterday, is they are all going to be right-handers. Keep a note on that. Probably won't see a whole lot of C.J. Willis. Yeah, C.J. has really good stuff when he's batting against lefties. It's a big reason why he was in the lineup on Tuesday against La Tech, and he wound up just going off three doubles in that ball game. I hope he is in that lineup more, but he feels like he's just more of that guy you're going to plug in and play depending who you're facing off against. Meanwhile, LSU baseball came away with a tough 22-7 to loss to Oral Roberts, a absolutely just jamoke of a team they lost to. I just sat there I was like, come on now. You can't do that. But here's the thing, and LSU fans, I hope you're listening. I think there's, I think things are going to get better for you. And I'll explain why. There's a thing called the Kevin Foot theory. If you score a bunch of points in game in one game, your team is going to shut down for a couple games. So I think LSU wins the series, and they look good. I'm going to see how this whole thing kind of pans out, though. Hour number one in the books. we got more of Under the Dome with CD coming up next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome back. Hour number two of two is now officially underway on this Louisiana Saturday morning, afternoon, however you want to put it. Hope you're having a good one. And, of course, we're coming to you live, as always, from the First South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And hopefully you're having a good one so far. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through that old school FM dial. This is where the power lies. Or maybe you're more of a new school cat and you love to listen in through the free mobile app, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. Just tell your smart speaker to play 103.7 The Game. And if you haven't already, especially if you have an Amazon Alexa, re-enable that smart speaker skill today. That way you can listen to us at home, crystal clear. And of course, the dot .com is also where it's at. Hopefully you're enjoying the show so far. I know I sure am because I'm here with you. And the Twin Peaks hotline is open. 337-706-0111. And I'm feeling pretty saucy today. I'm feeling pretty darn good, and hopefully you are as well. Because, hey, I'm on Acadiana's number one sports station. When last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex-wearing, diamond ring-wearing, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, Jet flag, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! 
And we appreciate you listening, however you're doing so. And, hey, hopefully you're having a good Saturday, however you're doing so. Be, you know, you're out there maybe doing that, taking care of that honey-do list before maybe some going to watch some college baseball, maybe some college basketball, whatever you're doing. Make sure you do it right and do it responsibly. And, hey, if you're popping that first top of the day, or better yet, maybe you're you're drinking that second cup of coffee. Maybe maybe you're, you're, you're in that kind of day and you're trying to get it all in. Appreciate you doing so. Meanwhile, let's start off this hour by talking about those New Orleans Saints and the moves they're making. I've talked about a lot that the Saints have been living up against that wall. They've been sitting there for a good while just waiting to basically hit the wall. It's not like when you're watching a NASCAR race. You're waiting to see the wreck. You're waiting to see the wreck. And ladies and gentlemen, we are at the wreck when it comes to the Houston, excuse me, the New Orleans Saints and the State of the Union with them right now. And a big reason why is because of the cuts they have to make this week. This week has been absolutely just brutal. You're losing a lot of fan favorites. Jared Cook, Josh Hill, the two bigger names. And then, of course, we get on Thursday afternoon, Thomas Morstead. Thomas Morstead, probably the biggest cap casualty of them all. Of course, you're restructuring contracts to save to save up some of that cap space. Guys like J.J. Gray. You re-signed Ty Montgomery earlier today to a deal. And then we get Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football reporting that there's even more maneuvering of the salary cap. It all starts with defensive end Cam Jordan and Demario Davis agreeing to restructurings that yielded $13 million in saving cap space. Again, restructures are not pay cuts. They got nice signing bonuses out of this so they can get some cash money immediately. It's a team-friendly move, and it helps get the Saints beneath the salary cap. Again, it's basic Lumisnomics, but it sucks that we're at this point. That we had to let go. We're having to let go of a lot of different guys. And you've got Thomas Morrison, a guy that pretty much his whole career has been part of like some of the best years in Saints franchise history, dating back to the Super Bowl. His first year in the league, he wound up winning a Super Bowl. And he's become so ingrained within the culture of New Orleans. Losing him probably sucks worse than anybody else. But it's a high price you pay when you have when you have for the last several years had to rearrange and restructure contracts like crazy to make sure that you can keep anything else. Like I'm I'm just being serious right now. What happened with Thomas Moore said and a lot of other guys, and probably more to come. This was all largely set up because of Drew Brees. It's not all his fault, but a lot of it has to do with Drew Brees, his contract, and making sure he sticks around for another year. Nothing wrong with that, because I think Brees is absolutely so deserved of 
being able to stick around, but at the same time, he just kept chasing that dream. He kept chasing that dream to win one more Super Bowl before he hung it up. I think he would have hung it up if he won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. The no no call made him want to continue to chase. And, yes, the chase sometimes is a great thing. But at the end of the day, this has hurt the New Orleans Saints in the long term. They're going to get underneath the salary gap. There's no doubt in my mind. But you're cutting a lot of key pieces. All right, let's go out to the 103.7 The Game hotline, 337-706-0111. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hello. Hey, what's up? Hey, man. Hey, look, yeah, we were talking to Thomas Morrison. I remember one of the my good memories of him, which is really a dark day in Saints history, was when uh, Minnesota uh, beat the Saints, you know, on the, the, the bad uh, coverage that the Saints cornerback had up in Minnesota. And when the officials were making Minnesota kick the extra point, but all the Saints players that went in the locker room, and Thomas Morrison was one of the few Saints that came out, and he was like, you know, lined up as a, a defensive tackle or something. Just that that memory and that that character of him coming back out up there, and you know, trying to get enough players to come back out there. You know, uh, you know, really made me start following him and watching him a lot. You know, just because I knew he had, he was a man of character, definitely. So we're gonna miss him. Oh, we're definitely going to miss. Appreciate the call, man. All right. All right, we're going to keep it going. We're going to get the con- we're getting the conversation rolling. Three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 is the place to be. Hello, you're on under under the dome. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, enjoying the show there. Appreciate that it. Question, man. Yeah, w- watching uh, the Saints free agency tracker and, and the cap casualties and commitments and all that. Man, we're still 66, according to that's a, the the number 66 over million over the cap right now. I, I just don't see like so we released Easton, uh, Morstead, right, um, yeah. Cook, Hill, right, restructured Onyemata, all these other guys. Isn't that like almost a whole football team? I mean, like, can you explain like where's the 60 million going to go? Like how they're going to get rid of that? And I appreciate it. And I'll uh, hang up and listen. Thanks, man. Oh, you're welcome, man. You're welcome. And again, I, I think what we're seeing now is like they're about sixty-one million dollars, right? According to OverTheCap.com, I haven't seen them update it in terms of the restructure contract that they just did. Again, I don't know. Again, this hasn't been updated from what I can kind of tell. And again, now you're at sixty. According to this, $61,998,396. You're over the cap right now. What you did today with the Cam Jordan to Mario Davis restructure, where it saves up to $13,443,750 this season, that saves up that amount of money. So now you are going to wind up being at, you know, this. I was told there'd be no math, but lo and behold, here I am. Having to, having to math it up a little bit. So it's going to be about, so that brings you down to about, I'd say, I believe it's oh, $48 million. So you're still got a ways to go to figure out how to get out of this cap hell and basically move these guys' contracts around and rearrange. Obviously, you're going to have to talk to Michael Thomas, Toronto Armstead, and figure out a way to renegotiate and restructure these contracts to free up what you need to free up. And, of course, what Drew Brees did was probably one of the biggest first steps towards doing so. 
Because now, whenever you get to the situation where you're at, now, Drew Brees, after June 1st, he's going to be moved into the, uh, more likely than not, going to be moved into the retirement ranks. I said on the shows earlier this week, and I think there's still a chance. There's still a chance in hell, and I'm going to stand by it. I said it earlier this week. 65% chance Drew Brees returns to the NFL next season, but not for the Saints. I could, I'm could, i probably going to be completely wrong on that, but I think there's a chance. Because Drew Brees, he is wanting to chase that proverbial beast and be able to, hey, I want to do what Tom Brady did and win one at 40. I want to win one before I hang it up. That's all he's wanted. Now, yes, he gets. I mean, I saw people say, oh, hey, his new haircut means it's time he's going to retire. How the hell can you determine a new hairstyle is going to determine it? Maybe, maybe Drew Brees has been getting to his emo side. Maybe he's listening to little Hawthorne Heights and Sunny Day Real Estate to kind of get into that mode before the season starts. I don't know. Maybe he's he's just been enjoying that part of his life. He's got his hair, he's growing his hair out a little bit. Whatever. Maybe he's going to cut it again. I don't know what's going on with Drew Brees, but I think if he's going to come back, it's with another team. Which team is that? I think it'd probably be the Washington football team in my head. That's kind of where I see him going. Now, does he make an immediate impact with that team? I think there's a chance because are you really that comfortable if you're a... If you're the if you're the WFT, the Washington football team, whatever they're going to call themselves, are you really sold on Tyler, Tyler or Taylor Heineke being the guy when you could get a veteran like you know Drew Brees? If I'm them, I'm not sure. I think I'd like to take the chance on him. If you're the Chicago Bears right now, let's let's have an honest conversation. Do you want to stick around with Mitch Trubisky if Drew Brees is available, if he's in play? I think there's a chance. There, there's two teams, just off the top of my head, that could come back. That could make him come back. And I think probably the best one out of those two is the Bears. And I, I give the Bears a lot of help because they feel like a very much overrated team now if you bring breeze back if you bring breeze to chicago jimmy graham might stick around maybe jimmy graham could actually be good one year for goodness sakes javon wims probably can catch a deep ball probably the one or two deep balls drew breeze will throw all year khalil mack really helps that defense i think putting breeze in there could very well turn this team into a It'll probably be the first wild card team instead of the second wild card team. It just is because of the fact they're playing the NFC North, a very tough division to play in. Because you got the Green Bay Packers, and who knows how the Minnesota Vikings are going to be. It feels like every other year they're either going to be a really good team or a really bad team. That's the price you pay whenever you pay for the for Kirk Cousins' service because Kirk has always been up, down, up, down, just never quite able to get over the hump. But yeah, I, I just feel like that's where I'm at with Drew Brees right here, right now. 
the conversation's going to change probably in a couple weeks. Because I feel like very soon we're going to see Drew Brees make this decision. Because why hasn't he yet? That's really the question I think a lot of us have been asking. Like, Why hasn't he made this decision to hang it up yet? I think it's because of the fact that he's got the time. And he wants to make sure he's making the right decision. Because I think once he does that, this isn't like Brett Favre or anybody else. This is basically, we're going to go ahead and run things our way. And I'm just seeing this. Uh, Zach Grinke threw 20 pitches in the first inning. In his first Grapefruit League inning, gave a single to Michael Conforto, then a well-struck double to Pete Alonzo. But, yeah, nothing really else really happening there. Which is another complaint for me when it comes to the Houston Astros and what's going on with them. I'll talk about that more a little bit later about my hatred for the new mercy rule in the MLB. But we'll take a quick timeout. I get some college basketball, especially when it comes to Cajuns hoops. And one person I know who's probably overjoyed and over the moon about the fact that he's getting this in his life. That is one Dave Schultz. Talk about that next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome with cd right here in acadiana sports station 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com and there's no guy I think is more excited right now than one Dave Schultz. Now he's up in Mobile doing his thing, and he's up in Pensacola, probably having himself a grand old time, enjoying the fact that he's getting the double dip of Cajuns South Alabama. Because not only do you have the Cajuns women's basketball team playing South Al, you got the men's team who won a really hard-fought ball game last night in the Sun Belt Men's Tournament against ULM. They, they fought, scratch and claw their way into that one with a really, really nice win over the UL Monroe Warhawks. I believe that one was... Wish it would pop up on my feet. <laughs> this is what happens when you sometimes kind of hit the Google machine because I don't remember exactly how the numbers went for the Jags. But yeah, the Jags, they came away with a 80-72 to win. They clawed back, especially in the second half, to win that one. Then the women are going to be playing the number one overall seed in those Louisiana Raging Cajun. And that's been really awesome, is the fact that you've got the Cajuns women's basketball team, the number one seed, and I'm intrigued to see how this whole thing goes because there's a big difference between being the hunter versus the hunted. And that's something I've noticed that the Cajuns, they've never, the women's team especially, has never been. They have never really been the out and out, you know, like hunter 
or the hunted, I should say. They've always been hunting wins, especially when it comes to the, the Sunbelt Conference tournament. And they've been a really good team. It's just sometimes injuries will happen and whatnot, and I've just been very much like questioning what's going on with this program for a while. I felt like sometimes they just could never get right. Now, what's happening with this team right now? That's getting right. That is absolutely changing the way we are looking at different programs across the country. And they are probably, and it helps with the fact that the that the Cajuns had a couple weeks where they did not play. It was the right place and the right time for that because they were able to spend time and get recovered, get right, get ready. And I love the fact that they were able to kind of have that moment. And now they're, they're the Sun Belt regular season champions. That has never happened. Now it's time to kind of keep this thing going. 13 straight wins is an amazing story. But now you have to focus on playing in the East. Playing those East Division teams. Because that's where the problems are with this program. It's You only played the West teams. And once you're kind of able to go through it, you looked really good. And you've started to set yourself up for a lot of long-term success. Now, the Cajuns, they need to, it's for both of them, win and you're in. Lose and your season's probably done. Because I don't see an NIT or a WNIT or CBI, I don't even see those kind of things beyond the NIT happening this year with COVID. I don't, I don't see Bob Marlin crew actually even doing that. And I've just been wondering, you know, what's it going to take? I think the Cajuns have what it takes on the women's side a lot more to go the distance. Because, again, it's the best form that really helps you a lot in postseason play. You're the healthiest team. You've been red hot on the court. 13 straight wins. And you've looked good doing it. You've done a lot of different ways. I mean, the fact you were able to kind of kind of handle the waters when it comes to some of the injuries you dealt with early on. And hell, I mean, you had Ty Doucet, one of the best players. She's take, she had to take a couple games off because she was hurt. You were able to keep that win streak going. That speaks to me a lot. To see that team get it done, very much impressive performances from start to finish for this program then we get to the cajuns on the men's side you got south alabama again a team that was hard fought and you're playing a cages team that i hate to say it they've been pretty inconsistent the last couple of weeks it's like they'll win one and lose one it's never quite be able to get hot at the right time you split a series against Little Rock to end the year whenever you probably could have pulled it off. And that's it just I'm interested to see how this entire storyline is going to go for the Cajuns. Because they have so much potential to run to go the distance because of the, the way the seeding is this year. The fact they got a bye massive 
jump, jump straight to the quarterfinals. You only got to play three games. Is this Cajun team in the past? It's always been, you know, win one and then you're out the next round. I think if they can get to the quarterfinals, sky's the limit. I think they have a chance to do it. They win that one, things are going to set up real nice. Not too far down the road. But I'm interested to see how things are going to move forward with the Cajuns. And then we got LSU basketball. LSU basketball has a huge opportunity because they'll be on the road against the Mizzou Tigers. Imagine they're making up for this from a while back. So the Cajuns are going to have to get things done in Pensacola. LSU's got to get it done over in Como. I'll talk about that a little bit more next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay up man i'm starving now back to under the dome on 1037 the game acadiana's sports station welcome back to under the dome with cd hopefully you're having a fantastic saturday afternoon i just saw this pop up about the lca knights girls basketball they're in the middle of their state title game, tied 18 all in the in their matchup right now against it's saying STA. I have no idea who that might be off top. Let me go ahead and pull this up. Yes, this is what I'm not. A, I just I need to pay more attention to the girls basketball tournament because it's like STA. I'm trying to, and all I've been seeing is. STA. Let me go ahead and see this right now. This is what I, I'm it's just trying to. Okay, St. Thomas Aquinas. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. So, yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas, Lafayette Christian Academy, both tied at 18. They're at halftime right now. So, best of luck to them. But now, I talked a lot about the Cajuns. Let's get some LSU, a little equal time here, if you will, because we'll have LSU Mizzou right here on 1037 the game starting at 2 o'clock, pregame 130. You'll hear that right here but not through streaming because reasons. So when it comes to the comes to the LSU hoops, this is the biggest game of the year for them. You win this one, I'd say you've pretty much secured a spot in the tournament. You probably just need to win one game, if not two, to improve your stock, but at least one to really solidify yourself into where you want to be. Because I think the ceiling for LSU is about a seven seed. You do that. I was saying this to another member of the media, Seth Lewis with KATC. I said this to him. LSU is a round of 32 team at best. Based off of their lot in life right now today. Because right now, they would be an eight seed. Heading into the NCAA tournament if everything was done now. Before today's games. I think LSU would be around a 32 team because they would win the first round in an 8-9 matchup, a very close one in my mind, and then they would lose the next round because they would be playing a number one seed. They would be playing one of the top teams in the country. 
I just don't see them getting much further than that. If they got to the Sweet 16, that's Lanyap, that's Lanyap, however you want to put it, that's massive. I just don't see that happening with this team because they have been underwhelming all year against teams that it feels like they should be beating. And it's not just because, oh, hey, on paper, we're seeing certain programs look so much better. No, we're seeing them lose to teams like Texas Tech, Arkansas, after being up by a good bit against them. Because if they were able to sweep that series against Arkansas, that would have been a huge win, especially because now Arkansas is a lot more of a top-flight program. That's a big Q1 win on the road. Texas Tech, you went, you were in control of that one for 39 minutes and, fi- and like five seconds. Well, last minute of that ball game, you pissed away the win there. LSU, men's basketball, just absolutely needed to realize something. And they need to change their, their aspects on these things. And that was a game they should have won. Just those two games. Now, yeah, it's if FM butts were candy nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. I think this is where we are. I'm like, LSU has two losses on their record that could easily be wins. And we'd be talking about a different team. Right here, right now. This is a LSU team that has to win this ball game to keep themselves securely fastened in as a eight seed. At worst, I'd say a nine or a ten seed. Because if they lose these, lose a game here, and then lose in the SEC tournament to a relative jabroni, the conversation really goes down to oh hey, like they could very well be a ten. Maybe even 11 seed. Maybe even 11 seed. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. But that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of where things are set up in 2021. Meanwhile, women's basketball, they're done. They're done for the year. They lost to the tournament on Friday to Texas A&M. They were in control of the ballgame to start, but that was just because they were so damn slow. Like, they were underwhelming from the field in the first quarter. Texas A&M fought back where he would take the lead to end the first and then rolled, I mean rolled, past those Lady Tigers. And now, here we are again. It feels like Groundhog Day when you just look at that LSU Tigers program on the, on the basketball side. When is Nikki Fargas going to get the axe? Because I think it's time. I think it's officially time to start that conversation again. Because it just, it's been making me question a lot of different stuff lately. And I think that's where I'm at. Is, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, that's where we're at. The LSU Lady Tigers head coach, she's got to go. I think there's a chance where the conversation shifts towards maybe moving over to another person down the down the line. But I think you just got to figure out what the state of your union is. Is you basically extended her contract a couple? I think it was a couple years ago. 
almost solely because you didn't know what you wanted to do. You want to give her one more shot, but now I think time's up. You've got to basically move forward. And I'm intrigued to see how this whole thing's going to go. So because of the fact that there's so many questions surrounding LSU and it's been a black cloud around and we talked about it a lot in hour one. But I think LSU women's basketball may be the one that's going to be needs to be kind of looked at a lot more so. And there needs to be a lot more of a change coming with that program because I I like the chances of this team being able to stay consistent and stay inside the proverbial lines and come away with a win and start building some momentum. They just have to probably go ahead and change things up with the Cajuns, I mean, with that program, and, and kind of shake things up because that's where we're at. It's time to get rid of those two. Meanwhile, the Cajuns, they're about to get started both softball. This is going to be a crazy day because you've got softball, baseball, and women's basketball all starting around the same time. I have never seen anything like that, and I'm not going to lie. I love it. In fact, I was seeing today, I was seeing the lineup. We're going to pull up the starting nine for the Cajuns on the baseball diamond first. Hayden Dirk obviously going to be on the bump for game one of the doubleheader. Yeah, Carson Rockefeller going to be starting off in the leadoff spot. Tyler Robinson, who's been the leadoff guy in the past, going to be in the two-hole. Ben Fitzgerald at DH to be batting third. Then Bobby Lotta going to be batting cleanup. Kevin Fitzgerald batting fifth. Anthony Catalano batting sixth. Brennan Bro batting seventh. Josh Cofield batting eighth. And then Nick Hagenorn going to be batting in the ninth spot. That's all because of the fact that Hagenorn starting to fill in because I'm a Drake Osborne hurt himself or re-injured himself during the Cajuns game on Tuesday night. That's be more of a day-to-day thing, but that's your lineup for game number one for that for that game. Then I saw the starting lineup for the Cajuns in game one against Memphis. Let's be starting up in just a few. Sierra Bryant batting first. Jay Gortares, I'm probably mispronouncing that name, batting second. Julie Rawls batting third. Justice Mills batting cleanup. Melissa Mayu batting fifth. Carly Heath batting sixth. Kaylin Aldernick or Alderink batting sixth. Oh, seventh, excuse me. Bailey Curry batting eighth. And then batting ninth, Frankie Izzard. And then Kandra Lamb going to be getting the start for the Cajuns in game one. And just kind of doubling back to something I've talked about before with this Cajun softball team. This is going back to, you know, the Mike Lotte days. Is that this team just can never. And last year was that opportunity. Talk about it a lot. Cajun softball had an absolute chance to really do something special last year. I think they were probably going to be a college World Series team, maybe even making it to like that last game before like you advance the finals. That's kind of where I had them pegged at last year because of one reason. You had two aces. In softball, you can usually kind of get by with one ace and really handle business and be able to get things done. But this year, your ace hasn't been using ace stuff. Summer Ellison, no offense, hasn't done nearly as well as you'd like. 
having somebody like a Kandra Lamb is great to have because it gives you another opportunity, another set of person that can absolutely change the fortunes of this franchise. But I'm looking forward to seeing how everything else is going to turn out for this program because I like what I've seen lately from you know the offense. But it's just the this team still is searching for that identity. A lot of in, a couple of injuries last week really affected that. Having the big week they did where they played against Oklahoma State, they played against LSU. You you dealt with Baylor this week. So many different people you're having to kind of deal with and move forward. I'm wondering how this whole thing's gonna gonna look after the season. How are things going to set up? Is I don't know the answer to that right here, right now. Hopefully, we can see Jerry Glasgow be able to figure out how he's gonna set up his lineup and how he's going to get things done. Because this isn't, you know. Vintage Cajuns team. We're not. We don't have a whole lot of like power hitters. We don't see the ones that are absolutely just slapping the ball out of the ballpark like Alexi Elkins a few years ago. We're not seeing those kind of hitters. It's manufacturing runs, and that's almost unconventional for a Cajuns team that has always been more of a power-oriented team. But now they've lost power, and I'm looking to see what's going to happen. Who's going to fill in in that spot? Because, you know, there's a lot of questions surrounding the Vermillion White on the softball side because of the injuries. Meanwhile, you know, Ashes are playing right now. So, again, it's been an absolutely crazy last few days for the, for the Cajuns. Because, in fact, you have two games today for baseball. You got softball, you've got basketball coming up for the girls, and for women, and then the men's basketball team will be playing at like 5.30, so a busy day for the Cajuns, LSU to a certain extent, because LSU basketball, then baseball's going to be playing, or they're both be playing relatively the same time. Then Sunday, you've got LSU baseball wrapping up their slate against Oral Roberts. And I'm sure they're hoping they can kind of get it done on Sunday. It's Saturday. And like I said earlier, this Cajuns team has an this LSU team, excuse me, has a chance to bounce back because of the foot theory. And if you don't know what the foot theory is, the foot theory is if you Hit a bunch of if you want to bracking up a bunch of runs. Let's say it's a 10-12 run ball game, and you want to winning not winning by that much, but let's say you want to putting up 10-12 runs or more. More likely than not, you're not going to be able to repeat that feat. Now the question now is, how is Jaden Hill going to react to that? How is he going to react to this? seeing his game just go up and smoke, and you're out before you know? Getting outside of getting one person out, he did nothing really good. Hit batters, walking with the bases loaded, just a lot of stuff absolutely going wrong. But yeah, we'll probably deep dive into that, probably a little bit more further down the line because obviously there's a plenty of LSU baseball left to talk about. The hitting power, 
was amazing over the last couple weeks. I'm intrigued to see how that whole story's going to go. We'll take a quick timeout, wrap up the show next. Got one final take. And we talk about LZ basketball. Sharif O'Neal going to be done for the year, but we're going to talk about his daddy, Shaq, in a little bit. He's why the heck not? You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. All right, my final take of the show has a lot to do with Shaquille O'Neal. It's his birthday today. I, something I just didn't quite quite realize till a little before I got in. But also him at AEW Dynamite the other night involved in a wrestling match. I know... I talk about a lot in the Cajun Strong Style podcast. I'll definitely be talking in detail about the match itself. But the fact that we see more and more of these celebrity appearances in wrestling, I love it as long as these guys are invested in it. And Shaquille O'Neal was 100% invested in it. He took a bump I've never seen many you know, actual celebrities take. That's like a crossbody outside the ring through a table that if that table was about – they were about six inches – Further up, probably would have hit his head and would have not been a great situation. Looked like he got rocked in that. Somehow, some way, he managed to be on the NBA on TT the next night. Absolutely loved every second of it. Shaquille O'Neal absolutely deserves a lot more love for what he did inside the 20 by 20 squared circle. He deserves the respect. And I love it. Shaquille O'Neal is the man. Absolutely loving it. Hopefully you did as well. If you haven't seen it yet, go check out the videos of him going through the table. The bump he had on there, absolutely just rough. And I'm not going to lie, I popped for it. It was a ton of fun. And I have to say, like, stuff like that rules. If you have people that are invested in it and more importantly are willing to do the stuff, take the risks... That's gonna be that's the fun part about pro wrestling is you get to see those guys take these risks and somehow some way come away relatively speaking unscathed and Shaq was one of those. Also, I kind of popped when I rewatched it back because they had a they did a stretcher angle because he just stayed down after the crossbody. His team won the match, but he wound up having to get in the ambulance and had to pick up his feet to close the door. That absolutely slayed me when it happened. Meanwhile, LCA down 31-28 late in the third quarter. And I got a little bonus take for you because I saw this stuff earlier this week and I want to kind of briefly touch on it, is unpaid internships. Because, boy, oh boy, that has created a lot of controversy on the Twitter sphere. It created a lot of debate, and I think it was justifiable. But at the same time, I was an unpaid intern here when I started here almost seven years ago, back in May of 2014. Almost seven years ago, I've been here. I started out as an unpaid intern, and then lo and behold, was able to kind of eventually find my spot there. If I didn't have that spot and that opportunity to be here as an unpaid intern and was here every day learning and honing my craft and eventually 
being able to get here part-time and eventually full-time and producing a couple shows and then eventually hosting my own show here, doing the podcast, that wouldn't have been possible probably or would have been less likely to be possible if not for that. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of sacrifice, and I think if you can get a paid internship, do it. More power to you, but if the unpaid internship's there, take advantage of it. Take advantage of that opportunity. Trust me. I did. It was great. Summer 2014 was probably one of the best times of my life because I was doing that, and luckily I was able to also have a job that I was working mainly on the weekends to where I was still making money while also learning a lot about how this industry works. And again, lo and behold, somehow, some way, I'm still here almost seven years later. It's like they never want me to leave, you know? I guess it's just the fact of how good I am or just the fact I know where the bodies are buried, I, I presume. But appreciate you listening in to the show. Be back with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Barring anything out of the ordinary because you never know how LSU's schedule is going to go. I could have an hour-long show. I could have no show at all. Because if LSU wins the SEC tournament, God knows when that game is going to be. It just all depends on how their schedule is. Because I think if they would win today, they'd probably be a number three seed. And that would mean they'd probably be playing more in the late day. Or midday, like I think the three o'clock game. I don't know. But that's about all I got for the show today. Talk to you next week. And take it easy. Peace. Oh yeah, kick it!